Hi everyone, welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm James. I'm Corinne. I'm Justin. And I'm Cleo. And for this episode, the first in our Women of the Apocalypse series, we're going to be talking about Tank Girl, created by Hewlett and Martin. Uh, Tank Girl is a series of comics from the late 80s, early 90s, or at least the portion that we're going to be discussing. This is the original run of Tank Girl, uh, currently republished as kind of the Tank Girl classic, I think was, was yeah. the label for him. Uh, volumes one through three. Um, these are, oh God, what is Tank Girl about? Tank Girl... Is Tank Girl about anything? I would say yes. Um... I mean, so broadly speaking, it's a series of comics that were originally published in, I believe it was Deadline was the name of the, was the name of the magazine. I think that was the first, because even during this run, I think it goes from one magazine to another, I thought. My understanding was that they were always published in Deadline and that they were published in Deadline kind of for the entirety of Deadline's run. Um, okay. so I know Deadline started, I believe the Deadline started in 88 and ended in 96, which I believe... Uh, maps to I don't not necessarily this run, but I believe that the yeah the I think this thing. run of Tank Girl ends around ninety four ninety five. It's a little bit earlier, yeah, but I think yeah. that I don't believe that there was like a a significant period in Deadline's history where it was not publishing Tank Girl. I think it was kind of their it was largely considered to be kind of their big sort of flagship right. um, property. So so I guess broadly speaking, Tank Girl is. It's, it's almost easy to talk about characters, right? Where yeah. so you've got you've got Tank Girl, the protagonist, who is. I think it's unclear where she's even from. It's kind of inconsistent. But so she she drives a tank. It's kind of her big defining feature. She is she's an outlaw. Uh, originally, it's kind of set in sort of a futuristic, apocalyptic, arguably Australia. Um, but at a certain very, point, it, it very quickly becomes less futuristic and less apocalyptic. Yeah, it it even going to the point where like. By by, I would say by about the end of the first volume, it sort of ceases to fit with our theme at all. Yep, um, I definitely started to feel that. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, which is I think it, which I thought was cool for kind of a, a handful of other reasons. But yeah, it doesn't work great for for our purposes. Um, we are fallible. I will say that uh, I think that a a larger portion of the stories that actually focus around Tank Girl are in Australia and some kind of apocalypse. And B, the stories that are stronger overall are about Tank Girl being a woman of the apocalypse. I would agree with that. And I think I know from some conversations that we've had, I guess the big question for me there is if... Actually, I'd be on the fence about saying I agree with that because I, I have a harder time thinking about the individual stories as opposed to thinking of like the whole thing as like an art project as a whole. But um, So I just have a harder time saying whether I agree or disagree based on what stories I think are strongest. Anyway, um, but based on conversations that I know we've had, do you think that it makes more sense to define this by its peaks or by percentage of the whole? Um, I, I honestly, I'd say little column A, little column B, because okay. uh, we, we left off our sort of, you know, water cooler chat about Tanker when we were at work with both of us having just finished the second book. Uh, and uh, I guess, spoiler alert, and I'll, we'll get into it later, but I was not a fan of 
of the content that had had been designated volume two of this like reprinting. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing where it it does feel like there are discrete like themes to each of the volumes, which is weird because the volumes yeah. are wholly like a post production kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if if Hewlett and Martin maybe chose where to cut off which content, but like the volumes are also roughly the same size, so I can't imagine they did. Like, it's it's an interesting thing. I, it'll be fun to get into later, but I I, I did want to throw that out there that the volumes are a purely arbitrary. Of, yeah, arbitrary after. Well, although yeah, I know that they did include uh, like. I'll say unaired. That's the wrong term, but unaired content. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there was deliberate choice about where to put certain unseen content volume-wise based off of what else was going on in them. Yeah, makes sense. Who knows? Yeah, anyway. Um, but uh, I, I was really... I was concerned going into volume three that it would sort of be more of the same of volume two and like less interesting in my opinion, or whether it would be a more of a return to form of volume one, which I thought was much more interesting and also much more uh, relevant to our chosen topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, spoiler alert, uh, I think it did return to form from volume one. And I was, I was much happier with volume three than volume two. I think it ends up being kind of a neat mix of the two. Yeah. Like, cause it's not quite, I mean, it's, it's hard to call any of this grounded, but it, which I think is, is by, is by intent, right? Yeah. But it seems like it's not quite as grounded again, uh, as volume one, but not quite as fantastical as two. I think what's interesting is that, uh, volume three seemed to be, um, I'll say lo- locationally, like the, the setting of volume three and uh, a lot of the, a lot of the like plot lines, quote unquote, were were very volume one. Mm. But a lot of the way the story was told was very volume two. Yeah, which was an interesting mix. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, but I think the original point I was trying to make uh, was that um, ultimately, I think. Ultimately, I think probably the larger portion of stories about Tank Girl specifically, and I want to, I want to emphasize that because there are volumes, there are there are issues in Tank Girl that are not about Tank Girl. Yes. Um, I think the the larger portion of Tank Girl centric uh, issues are set in apocalyptic Australia, and I think those are the strongest ones personally. Generically, how did how do people feel about this before we start kind of? We, we make our spoiler break and start talking about specifics. Um, so I guess I'll start. Um, Tank Girl is crude and rude and extremely problematic, like for a lot of different reasons and uh, very much a product of the, the punk scene. And we'll get into that. Um, but despite, despite it's, problems that, you know, I can't really like just turn off my brain and say, okay, this is what it is. And I'm going to, you know, not try to think of how it's offending many things. Uh, I, I actually, I enjoyed it more. So I think once I had gotten through volume two and had read content labeled tank girl that I didn't like, it made me appreciate volume one content more in a weird way. So (laughs) I don't know. I, I liked it. I'm I'm kind of in the same pretty much the same boat. Uh 
and it, it's interesting. My my opinion definitely follows the same sort of kind of flow that Corinne's does. Although I think I disliked Volume Two less than Corinne did, um, but I definitely didn't enjoy it as much as I did Volumes One or Three. Um, but but yeah, I think I do think Volume One was the the ones that I enjoyed the most, which is also kind of part of why. I still end up feel, feeling like I enjoyed it overall is because the best content was there at the beginning and sort of pulled me into this, you know, I want to say world that they've created. They definitely have created this world of Tank Girl, but it's full of holes. It doesn't feel like this, like, wholly established universe kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good content kind of pulled me in and made the rest of it almost more enjoyable. I honestly am not, like, a huge fan um, and I think, and that's for several reasons. One of them being that, like, like Corinne said, some of the content I was just kind of not like. I was, I definitely found a lot of it kind of offensive. Not nearly as offensive like some other things we've covered, but just like the persistence of at least vaguely offensive things throughout the entire series was just kind of annoying for me. And then, other than that, though. I don't, this, like, the style in which this is written and drawn is just not really, like, my cup of tea. Um, I, it's very chaotic. There's, like, a lot, and uh, this could be also potentially just part of my dyslexia, where it's, like, my eyes need to be able to travel across the page, like, in a certain way in order for me to fully, like, take in a story. And contemporary, more, like, structured comics are very easy for me to follow because there's a lot of thought put into that. Whereas with this, since it's so, like anarchy and, and punk fueled um there's a lot of disregard for traditional structure which is cool like i'm glad people do things like that and kind of shake things up but personally it made the story if you can really say there is an overarching story hard to follow and the vignettes were just kind of all over the place and i couldn't tell when like one thing was ending and another thing was beginning yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm definitely with you on that. Um this is one of the like harder things I've ever read, really, just because I've I've been reading comics for most of my life and I've gotten very used to the sort of processed way that the big two will create a lot of their art and then and sort of typical indie comics where there is a very very, you know, thoughtful approach to how they're going to create their panels and their their speech bubbles and everything about it. Um, to guide the reader in a very specific way. And Hewlett Martin very specifically didn't do like, you know, there's a natural flow that they sort of put in. They put things where things made sense to them, but I don't, it doesn't feel like there was the same kind of like very specific thought put into the way they were going to build those things. And that chaotic nature made it harder to follow than, than just about anything I've read. Yeah. I, that that's all something that I actually really enjoyed about it. I, I'll, I'll preface this by by saying this is that I am very much into and arguably kind of a product of the punk aesthetic. So this is all kind of stuff that I guess to a certain extent I was like more familiar with. Like I was, I feel like I was less surprised by a lot of this stuff. Like going into it, like you you, you see the art, you see a lot of this stuff, you see kind of the way those early ones are written, and I feel like I came out of that just being like. Oh, so this shit's gonna go off the fucking rails at some point, like and like it, it's the kind of thing where I feel like it sort of primes you for this to be sort of an anarchist comic kind of thing. 
Um, and I feel like it's the kind of thing, and then you kind of understand like that base level of offensiveness that it's going to be, and you've got that sense of what it's going to be like just because... I don't know, it's the kind of thing where it's... I don't know, it, it has that just sort of like joyous fuck you feeling that I like means a lot to me as someone who grew up listening to his dad's old like clash and sex pistols albums. Right. Like, like this is, it feels almost like getting a new one of those, which is kind of cool. Cause it, there's, there's not a huge amount of that like punk and post punk sort of aesthetic that feels like big and important that I was not familiar with. Um, so it was really neat just as someone who hadn't read Tank Girl. And this this is very much, like, kind of influenced and inspired by that punk scene, even though a lot of it is is kind of after. I was looking at a lot of the dates, and, and I realized that I was actually mistaken when we were talking a bit, Corinne. Um, I, I was thinking of this as, when we were talking, I had this as kind of earlier in the 80s. This being, like, that very late 80s, early 90s puts it a bit more kind of squarely in sort of a post-punk scene. So a lot of that had kind of happened. And I think you see that in a lot of the references that they make um, where, you know, especially again later, they talk, you know, there's a whole issue that's like a goof on the history of the Smiths. Um, and, you know, they get in, they talk about like it, there's there's a, what I thought was a really great issue later when Tank Girl's just kind of like going through a bunch of her friends who you've never seen before. Um, and, you know, they're talking about like going and listening to like a bunch of these like, these not punk ba- bands, but mod bands. Um, you know, you've got The Who and you've got uh, The Jam and, you know, they're talking about, like, having scooters and shit. And you see a lot of that even in, like, the way that, like, her tank is designed, right? And it's got, like, a bunch of fucking mirrors on it. And it looks like an old, like, mod scooter. And so it's the kind of thing where, like, that moment where you come in and it's just like, oh, shit, this is, like, this is home for me. Like, that was something that I I enjoyed a lot, which I can't really say is is something that someone else is necessarily going to, going to have. Um, but for me, at least it was, it was really cool to find something that felt like it was like much closer to, to that time and kind of carrying on that spirit. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that came kind of in the post punk after that, where it's a lot of people sort of trying to recapture that, that punk aesthetic after mm-hmm. it had kind of turned. And I think that there's some stuff that does an interesting job of that now. Um, but at least for me, it was really cool to kind of get it. It feels like such a, it feels very authentic to me. Um, and kind of coming out of that late eighties scene. Um, I don't know. It was something that I, that I really dug, but that said though, I will also be the first to say that I completely agree with all of the statements about it being kind of like hard to follow. I just think that, and like, and again, and everyone acknowledged that that's like intentional. That's just something that like, I enjoy a lot where like the whole thing feels like a giant middle finger to you, the reader. And I don't, as someone who likes that in a certain (laughs) form of media, like that, that felt like really good to me. And it's the kind of thing where like, you know, Justin, you were talking about like stuff from like the big two, like it's a lot of why I don't really like reading a lot of Marvel and DC comics that much anymore because I fucking love vertigo. Like I want those comics that like, and I understand that that's DC, but like, I want, I mean, I think you'd be crazy if you looked at a lot of those, like, early, like, British Invasion comics and said, no, I don't think that Tank Girl was a huge influence on those. Even, like, kind of the off-the-walls vignette storyline and, like, look at the way that, 
I, I feel like this must have been an influence for stuff like Sandman. I think this must have been an influence for stuff like Animal Man. Um, I mean, hell, even, you know, we're going to get into this later, but Hewlett and Martin inserting themselves into the comic the way they do, I I think that must have been an influence on Morrison, right? It. So for me, like, seeing that, like, very raw fuck you were this small magazine they make fun of themselves as being, like, you know, selling terribly and people hating Tank Girl and, like, all of this stuff and just that... That huge, like, fuck you, we don't care. We're going to go completely off the wall. She's going to take, like, a trip into, like, psychedelic England, and we're just going to stop doing that thing that y'all love for, like, the whole second volume. Even if it's, like, uncomfortable to read, that whole sense of, nah, fuck it. We're doing this for us, and by us, we mean beer money. Like, I don't know, that was something that that I I really enjoyed. It's been a while since I've had something that's felt as purely fuck you as this. Which is weird because I have no idea what that turns into as far as like recommending this to someone else. <laughs> like, it's like, so how do you feel about the clash? And have you always felt that way? And, okay. <laughs> and when I say the clash, do you understand that that means more than London Calling? Like, like I, even to the extent where like I wouldn't say how do you feel about the clash because there's all these people like, oh yeah, I know Rock the Casbah. Like I'm I'm hip. I know the clash. Like no, fuck you. Like, I don't know. It is punk more than, like, a biker jacket to you. Like, it, I don't know. So it's that kind of stuff. And I feel like that, to me, was so core to it. Like, can you go into it and see the tank and just be like, man, that's a fucking mod-ass tank. And then be like, oh, shit, no. Like, it's in black and white, but I see, like, the target that she's wearing, right? Like, that's, that's like an old, like, mod sign. Like, I get these influences. I feel this. I see this. This feels good to me. I have that T-shirt. Like, there were multiple times when I was reading it, so I was like, shit, I have that shirt. Like, and that just feels, I don't know, there's something about that that felt, like, really good. But, yeah, like, I I have no idea what that translates to to anybody else. I will say, the the time that I, like, enjoyed reading it the most was when I was in a very, like, fuck you mood, just, like, in general. And... I think just like, this is something that you do have to be in the right mood to read. Like if you're feeling pleasant and organized, if that's like an emotion, um, it's not the best time to read this, but like being in the process of moving and everything is like a fucking mess in my space and like generally being like annoyed with the world is a good, I mean, that like provides a good state of mind to read this. Um, it's interesting, I, in talking about, like, who you, would you recommend this to, or, like, how would you approach trying to recommend this, I would say, like, this is a weird way to phrase it, but, like, if you enjoy being abused by the media you con- you consume, then this is a good choice. Um, and, I mean, abuse is a strong word, right? But, like, if you like feeling like you're not being respected and if you're like being talked down to and you're not in on the joke necessarily like some people are really into that and sometimes you're really not in the mood for that and if you're like really not in the mood for that this is going to be a really annoying experience for you um but it's that's like the best way i can think to phrase it yeah no i think you're totally right and like i i don't even think that that's like a mood that that's that's that like out there like i i completely agree like that there's so much stuff that feels like you know, that makes you feel like you're being catered to and, I mean, God, I don't know if I can speak for anyone else, but I get so fucking sick of that. Like, I don't want to be fucking catered to. I want someone else to do what they fucking want to do. And if I like that, I'm going to come to that. And I want them to say, like, oh, God, there's so much, like, oh, we listened to the fans. We did what the fans want. No, fuck that. I don't want the fans want. Fans don't know what they want. I want what you want. Like, it, 
it's so rare to get that today. And that's like a really interesting thing to like think about right now and just the publishing, well, not even just publishing. I was going to say in the publishing industry, both when it comes to comics and fiction, but also just media in general, right? Because there's always people saying like, okay, we want something really new. Like pr- producers will say like, okay, we're looking for something fresh and new and like there's a new spin on something. But really we keep seeing the same shows and types of like, you know, book series and comic series being picked up that are very similar to what we already have. Maybe just like, oh, it's this, but with like this one little thing tweaked so it doesn't seem exactly like that anymore. Um, Instead of it being something that's completely like off the walls and new, even though so many people say that that's what they're looking for when it comes to publishing. And so actually reading something where the creators are just like, fuck it, we're doing what we want, and it doesn't really matter what our fans say or like what anybody else says we're just gonna go and do it that is refreshing um because i don't know like what can we point to given i'm not as well read in comics um as a lot of people are i don't know what's kind of doing that right now necessarily i feel like everything i read is very carefully put together and like a lot of research went into what do the fans of this title want I I mean I don't think I can say that really anything is is doing this kind of thing right now. Like even the most like the most beloved things, you know, it's like God, maybe Saga is the closest thing we have to this right now, where Brian K. Vaughn spent years and years cultivating this career and level of respect and then said, This is the story I want to tell, and it's this crazy, super long sci-fi epic. And here's what I want to do. And Image was like, well, here's a bunch of money because clearly you are going to do a thing that that makes us money. And yet Saga still has a letters from the fans section at the back of every single issue. Yeah. Which is not to say that that's influencing what Brian K. Vaughn is doing. But that but level it's still of dialogue, creating that yeah, dialogue, yeah. Which, which is interesting. And I don't think that you can objectively say that that's like a good thing or a bad thing. And arguably, I think there's a lot of reasons why it's a good thing. But There's also plenty of reasons why it's a bad thing. I mean, it's, yeah, I think it's super interesting because I agree. Like, I I think to find this kind of thing, like, I'm sure there are people, like, doing their own webcomic or whatever, you know, and, like... Yeah, I mean, I, I think the closest thing you can say, right, is webcomics. Yeah. Almost any given webcomic is going to be doing this. Well, I don't know if I would go so far as to say almost any given webcomic because how much you want to bet a bunch of webcomics are really concerned with what their community wants. Because it's online, and you've got this dialogue baked into the fact that it's online. It's not like a zine, right, where you just go and you just, like, push that out, right? It's through the mail. It's like a – it's – in order to have that discourse, it takes a lot more effort, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Or like a magazine where it's, like, just harder to write in. Obviously, like, they got letters and shit, but they were – you know, they made fun of the people who wrote them letters. Yep. So, yeah, I don't know. It – I think it's a. I, I think that the entire punk aesthetic, I think, has become so much more of just an aesthetic right now because of the way that like stuff is set up. And I think that there are things that are starting to rethink that and refigure that out. And like I think Persona Five actually does a really interesting job of that, which is weird because it's this huge, big budget thing. But like it's a really interesting investigation of like those ideas. I think there are you know bands that are getting into that. But yeah, I think that we're at a point where people are like need to re-figure out how to just be mad at shit. Spoiler break? Yeah, I think <laughs> it. 
Because I, I want to get into some specifics. Um, so, with that, spoiler break coming up, we're going to continue not doing summaries. However, this is where we're going to be announcing our next topic. This is going to be our annual spooky topic, because goddamn fuck my life. Um, I would just, little little behind the scenes here, this is 100% James's fault. Yeah, I was the idiot who realized that these are going to be going out in the fall and said, well, you know, this, is, this is when we generally do a scary thing, so... Anyway, um, so we're going to be doing witches, which is actually pretty cool. Like, honestly, I, I, I'll, I'll gripe and moan, but this is actually a pretty solid topic. There's only, I think, one thing that I'm going to, you know, have to white-knuckle my way through for this one. And I'm pretty jazzed with where we went with this. Yeah, so we're doing kind of witches in general. Our read is going to be Howl's Moving Castle um, by Diana Wine-Jones. Our watch is going to be The Witch from kind of recently, so we're... It's about as hip with the trends as we get now. Um, and our game, this is my, I think this is, this is the easiest and hardest one to find altogether. We're going to be playing Banjo-Kazooie, uh, which I think, I think is pretty great. Um, so I'm excited because we've only got one scary thing up in there. Yeah, uh, I am a fan of this cross-section of the witch that we are presenting through this topic. Yeah, so I, I think this is, actually, this is genuinely going to be a lot of fun, because it means we're going to have to seriously discuss the witch in conversation with Grunthilda. Yep. So... The topic episode is going to be great. Yeah. And, like, I, I think, frankly, like, it, I think we're going to joke about this a lot, but I think that there's, like, something interesting to be said there, um, which which I'm excited about. So... I, you know, moan as I may, I think this is actually going to be a really cool one. So look, look forward to those. Uh, start, you know, start chipping away now, I guess. But I think that this, this is going to be pretty lighthearted with one, one glaring difference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smack dab in the middle. But all right, so we got that coming up. Uh, but for right now, let's let's get deep into Tank Girl. I want to I want to talk specifics. Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to talk about the. I, w- I wanted to jump back in with my least favorite uh, story from the entire series. Oh, that one! I thought was pretty cool. I'm going to tell you why it's my least favorite. Yeah, one. Yeah, I want to know. Um, so Tank Girl for me, all the the entire series rode a pretty fine line of. Uh, how much I was willing to forget that this was all delivered from the mail, like via the male gaze. Sure. Um, and the Kerouac story in particular, uh, was the grossest to me in terms of, um, presenting as this just total fuck boy, uh, like looking at tank girl through the eyes of this fuck boy. And I hated it. Uh, out of curiosity, who drew this one? Um, uh, looks like Hewlett. Was it Hewlett? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because they've got a few guest artists throughout, so I was really curious if it was just like, oh, like, I wonder if it's like this one artist or if this is just like the direction that, that Hewlett took it. So, sounds like Hewlett. Yeah, because uh, this one was a, was a two-parter. Yeah. And I just, I was just, I just remember being really just not. I, I was just done hearing from things from this guy. Just one hundred percent. I I didn't like it. I did not like it. Um. I don't know. He's. It's. 
I feel like I have more intelligent things to say about this, but I, I can't, I, I really just can't get past saying like, we already know the comic is written from the male gaze, but this sort of made that really explicit. And it was frustrating to, to see someone else, like a, a male character looking at Tank Girl and like judging her, I guess. I, I don't know, like like looking at her as a sexual object or looking at her and judging her behavior or, or things like that. It it was weird and bad and I didn't like it. Um I I mean, James, did you get the perception that you were supposed to think that was weird and bad and not like it? Because to me, they're spending this whole two-parter. The, the, this two-parter is supposed to be a giant fuck you to Kerouac and people that write things the way Kerouac do. Was how I read, like, the point that they were getting at. Quote, point, you know, whatever. But it just seemed like like they were like, oh, God, this fucking Kerouac guy thinks he's so fucking great. And this is, this is bullshit. And this is why. Kind of. I think that that was definitely a part of it. Um, I don't know that it totally cancels out. Uh, I don't which, think which is not what which I know is not what you're saying. Yeah, for for, for the context of the statement. Um, yeah, but I, I would agree that I think that that was certainly meant to be an aspect. Um, I don't. I, I think that this is yeah. You're I, this is this to me is definitely like a standout two parter for a lot of reasons. And I think some of them being that it is the present of the. You get some pretty dramatic lows, and I think you get some really interesting turns. And I think that you get, at least for me, one in particular, like, really interesting high, which is that this is the one where it's it's a guy on a train reading what is purported to be an actual Kerouac book featuring Tank Girl as a character. And then about, like, halfway through, they start putting beneath the comic a small sub-comic of a kid reading... Deadline. This issue of in Deadline which he that has the reading, fake. The yeah. guy who was reading. Which, which struck me as like a great. I really enjoyed that as like a joke on the idea of like the kind of play within a play and you've got all this stuff and how normally that's kind of like this really interesting commentary on stuff. And at this, just everyone's an asshole. And I. I I'm really hesitant to try and get at what the intent was. I think that uh, a lot of stuff like this really gets kind of close to, um, was it Poe's law? Like the idea that like it, you can't, you can't do something like this that is satire without like, and especially when it's just like in text and you don't have some of the context clues, it's hard to tell what is satire and what isn't. Yeah. Uh, And like the fact that all of the characters are like bad people, it's, it's like, it's almost like always sunny, right? Where it's like, it, it's hard. You've got the assholes who you're rooting for and the assholes who they are in opposition to. And it's kind of hard to pull any sort of like, it, it gets dangerous to try and imagine what someone is trying to say with it. Uh, I think at least, at least for me, but I would say just, I personally really enjoyed that. Like, I don't know, that gag. Um, but yeah, I think that it also has like, I don't know. It's it's a really weird one. It's also the point where Tank Girl gets a, like a lot more violent, like just as the character. Like I don't like. There's a heist earlier than this, but if I remember, is this like the first one where she's just like robbing liquor stores? 
Yeah, and just like murdering people. Yeah, yeah. just like straight up, mur- just like killing people for no reason, no point. Like even like in 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 volume one, right? They have the the giant heist where they steal all, steal all the beer. Yeah, which I don't know if that's what you were referring yeah. to. Yeah, and they like try to avoid killing people. Yeah, like it. They're this- like driving giant tanks around, and they're still trying to avoid actually killing people because they just want the beer. Yeah, and then you know now we get this complete one eighty later. Like I mean, I will say this. I have this idea of what they were getting at, and I kind of appreciate some aspects of that. This is still my least favorite Tank Girl story, hands down. Yeah, I don't know if I would say it was it was my least favorite because I think it's at the very least I think it's super interesting. Um, so, it, which brings me to the question that like I that I was kind of building towards. Uh, totally on board with this one feeling uh, super gross. Yeah. Um, did you feel that it was a peak of that or that it was kind of with like the violence that it was a turning point and then you saw that kind of continuing continuing on? And did you feel like it was building to this or it kind of came out of nowhere? Um it, well, it's kind of it's kind of hard to say. Um volume 2 took an interesting turn in terms of oh, let me let me preface this by saying volume 2 to me felt like an entire volume of bottle episodes that like it, you know, it's hard to say that there's a plot in Tank Girl, but I, I definitely felt like we weren't getting to any sort of point, even though there's no point to get to to begin with. Volume two just like felt like a more. whole lot of faffing about and like literally nothing else. I'm, I mean, you can you can give it what value you want because they're experimenting with different art styles and different storytelling types. I I don't actually care. I was just annoyed the whole time because everything was like, there was so much that wasn't about tank girl and there was so much that wasn't set in Australia. And weirdly enough, like divorcing tank girl from the setting was, it it made it bad. And, or in my opinion, at least worse. I, I think that there was something sort of, essential to her being in that that like outback heat of the desert middle of nowhere like just sort of doing her thing destruction and and mayhem and sometimes riding into town and doing more destruction and mayhem and there's something essential to that that was important to like the series being interesting and then when you know when tank girl starts off in volume two in in a mental hospital i was like okay, this is weird, but I'm willing to see where they go with this. And then it immediately goes into her England trip, and I was just like, okay, great, I guess. I'm still willing to see where they go with this. And then uh, there was that whole fountain of life thing, uh, fountain of youth thing, and then from there it was just nonsense. And I did not like it. And I don't think I, I don't think there's a I don't think very often on this podcast I explicitly say, like, I don't like something. Yeah. Um, but here I'm going to say I did not like Volume 2 of Tank Girl. Yeah. Um, for all the reasons I listed. Too many stories that weren't about Tank Girl. Too many stories that weren't set in Australia. I, I'm hard-pressed to think of a single story in Volume 2 that is actually set in, like, the apocalypse of Australia. Um, and... Uh, it's hard to say that any of this was leading up to the things I didn't like in the Kerouac story because 
None of them felt like they were leading, yeah. period. Like, it was it was all... The biggest through line of Volume 2 is that, for some reason, characters started calling her Big Ears, and then that never happened again. That literally, I was like, is this going to, like... Is this going to come back around to the Bellevue thing for some reason? Like, because... I think it was just only her toys that were calling her that, right? No. That was that was the way I remembered it. I, I'm fairly certain she was only called Big Ears in Volume Two issues. Oh yeah, I mean I'm not saying that that it that wasn't the case. Although I thought early in Volume, I might be mixing up the beginning of Volume Three and the end of Volume Two. But there's like the weird one because the last the last time I remember it happening is the when uh, like uh, Camp Koala shows up for the first time after he was like destroyed. Yeah, he comes back. And he comes back and he calls her big ears. Uh, I think that was the 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 one where she loses her acting gig because apparently all of Tank Girl was just some yes. sort of like showbiz thing, I think. And well, that was volume issue, two. At least. I was going to say, yeah, I think that the, the one tricky thing in that description is it – that makes it sound a little bit like it's like, oh, a reveal that this was like the conceit behind the story the whole time. Oh, yeah. yeah. One of the one of the weird bottle episodes we got in Volume Two was that Tank Girl was all just some kind of it, it was like the it was all a dream, but it was uh, this is all a staged performance. Like Tank Girl is a is right, an actor. And they, they lose the writing job and the acting gig to the the weird other character who totally bobs. I do think that's the very end of Volume Two. Yes, yeah, that's the end of Volume Two. Uh, but yeah, I always thought it was a. Uh, it had originated with with Camp Koala, and her her toys would call her that um, because he did, and it was because he has big ears. I I don't know. I don't remember seeing it in Volume One. Is the only thing. Yeah, it may it may not have been. Um, All of this to say is that I thought that Volume Two maybe was going to have a point ultimately about the Bellevue Hospital thing and characters continuously calling her big ears, but no, it was just just a bunch of experimental shit that didn't add any appreciable value to Tank Girl as a series, in my opinion. So one thing that I've been wondering a lot as we've been talking about this is um, how much of, how, how this would feel if we were reading it in the original serialized format, where you're getting these one-off things just very occasionally, as opposed to lots of very different things back to back to back. Um, Kind of for for example, I, I've heard a lot of people say that the second to last volume of Sandman um, is something that when it was being originally serialized, uh, a lot of people really did not like it. It has a very different art style. It's very kind of flat and cartoony. Um, and so it's an interesting story, but that a lot of people said that when they were reading it month to month because you couldn't just get involved and invested in that kind of storytelling – um, you didn't have the chance to. It felt really bad, and it was very unpopular. Uh, but it's now one of the more popular volumes when you can sit and read it as a collected edition because you sit and you kind of get into it and you become accustomed to the art style and you kind of roll with it. Um, so it makes me wonder if some of those one-off things, uh, I wonder if those would have felt a little bit better if we were getting them once a month. Uh, which is not to necessarily say that that makes it add more or less to the series as a whole, but I wonder if this is the kind of format where it, that that very intensified version of it makes it feel like even worse. I think it would have to depend on 
how these were released originally. Like, if Volume 2 is a, chrono- a chronological representation of how the Tank Girl issues came out, then I would have stopped following it. I would have been like, okay, well, this isn't the thing that I liked, so I'm done. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it's a direct chronology from 1 through 3. Um, I do think that there's there's a certain point at which there is a medium in which a story is, like, supposed to be told, Right. And they suffer from being told in other ways later. They're like, even now, there's this whole you know binge culture with TV where a lot of Netflix originals are these things that are meant to be watched all at once or a bunch at once, and they lose some of the serialized storytelling aspects that exist in in traditional TV, right? And it's the same thing where like some traditional TV suffers from being like binged and watched in one sitting because it's really designed for you to be waiting between episodes and have that sort of anticipation built into it. And so, I mean, it's hard to say as someone who has only experienced it the one way, right? If it would be better if it was, if it was read in a, in the actual month to month serialized fashion, but I can certainly, I mean, they, they made it with that in mind. Yeah. And at a time when that was how you did things, you know, it wouldn't have been, they never would have thought of, of people reading 10 of these at once or more. Yeah. That's always something that I think about when, when I'm reading like comics trades or anthologies or anything like that, where it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Where it's that sense of, especially older ones where it's like, yeah, no, these were in, these were expected to be read in, in a certain way. And it always makes me wonder, especially because, you know, it's, it's ridiculous to go back and say that, like, well, that's how anyone is going to read that now. And, you know, a, any criticism of it, it's, it's interesting to hold those two things sort of in, in conversation with one another. You know, it's like the idea of, like, oh, like, looking at the Star Wars movies, like, is 20 years from now, how is The Force Awakens going to feel to people, right? Because we had a certain feeling of going to that and being like, I haven't seen a Star Wars movie in theaters since I was a kid. Like, and like having that, and on top of that, like the ones that I saw in theaters when I was a kid sucked. Right. Like in the moment, like you want it to be good and all that kind of stuff. And then you see it and you're like, oh, like I remember this and here's this character and here's this actor or actress reprising this role. And like that feels a certain way because we've had like that time. And then like, I think it's going to be really interesting to go back and look at that. And like, I don't, if I ever have kids, right showing them those movies and they're just going to be like, oh yeah, it's, it's Princess Leia again. Yeah. Cool. Like, fine, whatever. Like, I don't, like, I don't, got it. She's back. That makes sense. This is set after those other ones. I'm on board. Like, why is this shot, like, this big reveal? Why does this feel good? Because to them it was, you know, potentially a matter of days, weeks, fuck, even hours since, like, the last time they saw that character as opposed to years and years and years yeah but so i always i don't know i always think that's like a really interesting thing and i think that i i don't know if i can say whether tank girl benefits or is hurt by it or how it how it works but it feels like this series or series that behave like this are affected like that a lot more than things that have like a chronology or have like that have an arc right we're reading them together you can like appreciate the arc in a different way with this one it's just like yeah this just it makes it i wonder if this makes it feel even more like anarchic it could certainly be the case. I, th- I mean, I think what it comes down to is ultimately what Corinne said, where, like, if if Corinne had been reading it when it was coming out, you, you would have just stopped. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> I think that's what matters ultimately in this. Yeah. It's just like the serialized version of this would would drive a reader like Karim away. Oh yeah, I have I have a hard enough time keeping up with stuff that I like. <laughs> I have no time for things that I don't like. It's just. I mean, I will say if we weren't reading this for read watch play. Like if you if somebody had convinced you to pick up Tank Girl and you were that you had chosen to read them and you were spending downtime doing it would and and you had bought all three already right you just bought them all at once would you have stopped? Um, I might have I might have just started skipping past issues that looked like they were a whole lot of, a whole lot of nonsense. I would have probably peeked ahead and been like, oh yep, not seen Tank Girl at all. Book has got an afro. Skipping past that, uh, like stuff like that. Yeah, that was one that I actually particularly didn't enjoy. Um, oh yeah, I didn't like that one the, either. Yeah, there there are ways you can tell stories where like the the central character is not involved and they can be fun and interesting, but just like yeah, weird drug fueled Starsky and Hutch parody thing was not was not a good one. Yeah. I didn't I didn't like any of the Booga centric stories that weren't about Tank Girl. I didn't I basically I didn't like anything about Tank the the series Tank Girl that wasn't about the character Tank Girl. I thought it was pointless. I guess. Oh, okay. So that actually brings me to kind of around to another thing that I wanted to ask. Um, I'd say I specifically really liked uh, Jet Girl and Sub Girl um, as like supporting characters. Um, what did and one as a result of which one of the issues that really stands out to me as one that I actually really really liked is the one where Jet Girl is just going crazy in the outback and builds a tower of stones from all over the place on the map. And then blows it up like with it was like like mathematically or like with some some like goofily like poorly used word, uh, and then goes to see if all of the stones landed exactly where she picked them up from, and we only see the first one, but it looks like it does. Like I, I really enjoyed that one. So it, kind of two of my kind of like follow up questions from that were, um, one just because. I like them a lot. Like I was curious about what people thought of, like just kind of like who, what supporting characters people liked. And two, if there were like any of those individual sort of like any specific issues, especially now that we've talked about ones that we didn't like as much that people enjoyed a lot. Uh, I'll say that I real fast. I forgot about the, like the solo jet girl issue. I did like that one as well. There was also one solo sub girl issue, right? I think they both had a solo issue in volume three. Subgirl, I don't remember. Um, there might have been, but it didn't like make as much of it. Yeah, yeah, so I, I don't think that I would say that no, there wasn't, but it certainly didn't. There was the one where Subgirl and and uh, was it Steve or Stevie? Stevie. The one where Subgirl and Stevie just were killed. Yeah, for no goddamn reason. It might be the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah, but yeah, there, there definitely might have been. It just didn't like make as much. I just really enjoyed that one-off tank girl. Uh, Jet girl one. Yeah. Um, Which is not to say that refutes your idea that, like, you didn't like the ones that weren't about Tank Girl. Just, it, it reminded me that that one I thought was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll amend that slightly. There are, two, there are two important characters in Tank Girl. <clears throat> one is Tank Girl. The other is post-apocalyptic Australia. Yeah. And if it didn't feature either of those things, I had no interest. Makes sense. And sometimes it needed both. And a lot of times it needed both. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, the thing was is that, like, I liked, like, Booga as a character and sort of his relationship with Tank Girl to an extent and and the the play that they had off of each other throughout 
kind of these three volumes. And I think we could have had a Booga-centric issue or two that would have been good. But the the only ones that we got were like the super weird exper- – were during the whole just super weird experimental kind of nonsense of the second volume. And so like we just didn't get a, a good one, you know? The things that I preferred were the issues where it was, you know, like Tankrow's antics but through Booga's like narration. Yes. Those were things that I, – I enjoyed those. That was what I was thinking of pretty for the most part. Like Yeah, those were good. When Yeah, when he is the one like – when you're getting his reactions to everything, when it's like a tank girl story told through his lens, yeah, that's that's when we get that's the most we get of Booga as a character, really. Because again, like his solo issue is that weird Starsky and Hutch story that, like, well, he's also got the the cult issue. I thought I liked that one a lot. Maybe that one <laughs> that one's blurring. That one just because ones. that one was weird as well. I I particularly I really like the the style of the narration in that one. Just the way that the the narrative the God, I'm losing the word, but like just the way that their narration is written, I enjoyed, right. and that he what, it was like partook in like the opening cocktail weenie or something like that. There was there was some it, there was something with that where the language was just like clicking with me in that moment. I think that one might have also been a little more forgivable in my mind because it was like sort of the only weird uh, experimental issue in between a bunch of like solid tank girl. In it, it solid tank girl in Australia issues like doing tank girl things, where it wasn't just a whole series of nonsense. Yeah, honestly, if they just like re if they took volumes two and volume three and just like pulled one issue from volume three and stuck it between two issues of volume two and reordered it that way, it might honestly be a lot easier to swallow. Yeah, yeah, I, I like if the experimentation wasn't this giant block that got kind of. Like you just got kind of tired of. Mm-hmm. You know? I would say if you took one and two and or one and three and smushed them together chronologically, and then just interspersed two evenly throughout that whole thing, yeah, I I could have been. I I think I could have been down with that. All right, so we're gonna release our recut Tank Girl series. Tank Girl Machete Order. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I found the line. All right, so it's. Buga had found the secret feast of the many great plates of big food, a ceremony that only happens once every 2,000 years. In the ceremony, religious fanatics and spiritual philosophers overeat for days and days until they reach enlightenment. Oh, that's right. Buga had, in, had eaten the initiation cocktail sausage. And then there's an ellipsis that does not pick up. <laughs> I thought that was great. I... I'll give I'll give you that. That's pretty good. I like I just in general enjoyed this issue a lot. Though I will also say that one thing that I liked a lot about it, uh, there's no context, but it was just like a cult leader at this point. And there's no, you, you just cool. That's how it starts. You Down just, with that. Just roll with it. But also the initial narrator is kind of like, yeah, I, it seems like this is Booga, but like, what the fuck is happening? I can't believe he let this get so out of hand. I thought he was only joking when it all started. Maybe he was, but he's lost it now. He's lost himself in it completely. And okay, maybe he even had me fooled for a moment, but he's Booga for fuck's sake. It can't be him is the way to... I don't know. I This one was one I enjoyed. Um, and then it ends with like him reaching enlightenment, and it's what? It's like Complex that plays? Um, yeah, Complex by Gary Newman. Um, I will say that. That's what happens when you reach enlightenment. I, well, and just, like, I don't know, like, I really liked his whole arc here. I I feel like, I don't know, this one I enjoyed a lot. But this one also reminded me a lot of Morrison. I think this feels to me, if this issue of Tank Girl was not an influence on uh, Grant Morrison's uh, Coyote Gospel, 
um, issue of Animal Man, I would be amazed. Uh, even like the imagery is very similar. I, I though it also reminded me of another thing that I liked about the series was like that you could you could hear the music playing. Right, there were a lot of like cuts, like musicians being pulled in. There was like a soundtrack for each issue. Like there were like music lyrics and stuff like. That. I mean, the guy who fucking misquotes. Um, the replacements at a certain point, like when Tanker has to take the gig as a waitress, yeah. and he like misquotes waitress in the sky at her, and she's just like, "You got the fucking lyrics wrong, asshole." <laughs> like it, little things like that, that that did make it feel good, but but yeah, not to not to spin too far away, but I yeah, that was one I actually enjoyed. Though that one's kind of still set in the post-apocalyptic Australia, so that you still get that one character. Yeah, yep. yeah, that makes sense. I gotta say, I like I read. I read these things in like one hour stretches for the most part. And it's weird, like looking back over all the stuff in volume one, cause I'm like nostalgic for it in, in this really bizarre way. Like the one where tank girl outwits the devil in volume one. Yeah. That, that was, was great. fucking great. Yeah. I was really hoping oh, he would come man. back explicitly. I wonder if he came back implicitly or I don't know. Or if like the, like the idea, it seems like they were planning for it. Because in the following one, where, like, there's, like, the various paintings and it, like, suggests that, like, Tank Girl is or becomes pregnant at some point. And they just don't do fucking shit with that. And is or maybe is not some sort of aboriginal deity given flesh? Yeah. And, I mean, I... Some of the things that I liked about that, right, is that I think that 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 is one of the things about characters like Tank Girl. um, Where they are... It feels like they are intended to be kind of this, like spirit of freedom, spirit of rebellion sort of personified where the whole idea is not so much that they are a realistic person, but that they are that like rebellious impulse. Um, I, ah, nice. Cool. So I did like that. I, that's part of what I liked about that issue. And when she sort of became this totemic character, cause she really, she arguably is right. Yeah. She's not like a real person in any meaningful way, No. which, which is, fine right like i think that that's the the idea for the story um yeah i thought those were cool how about you clear were there any like supporting characters or like one-off issues that kind of stand out as kind of good to you oh so like i i did really like sub girl and jet girl especially just like when they were introduced and jet girl's just like completely oblivious to things and like obviously isn't paying attention to anything and repeats things that were said like a million times um Booga, like, I I kind of want to like him, but I don't know if I... And it's not the fact that he's, like, a mutant kangaroo who she's sleeping with. Like, that seems normal compared to a lot of the other stuff that's going on. Which really um, says something about this I just ne- series. Yeah. I just, like, never really... This is going to sound stupid. I never really connected with him. No, it's just, like, I didn't find him super interesting, I guess. Like, I just never really... Even... At his most interesting, I was, like, amused, but I was never super invested in anything having to do with him. Um, I did... Yeah, there was something about, like, Jet... I remember, it was an, I think it was issue one, where you just see, like, sitting on some surface, there's, like, a framed photograph of uh, Tank Girl, Jet Girl, and Sub Girl together. And, I, and like, they look ridiculous. And I just really, I don't know, like, I really enjoyed that little detail of, like, this weird trio of, like, okay, if there is a tank girl, of course there's a jet girl and a sub girl. Um, and I like their dynamic when they're together, but 
And it's weird, like, because I've been trying to remember where things happen. I read this kind of very spread out over a long period of time, so it's hard to remember, like, okay, this thing was in three, or this thing was in two. Two was a little bit, like, now that I've heard Corinne talk about it more, I do recall that all being, like, shoved together and being really hard to get through because it was just, like, a lot of nonsense all at once for a long time. Um, but it all kind of bleeds. I think the other thing was, like, I went into a mindset of, like, okay, I just need to, like, get through this. And it was all really trippy and weird. And so reading it was almost like having the experience of being super wigged out and, like, tripping on something because I didn't know, like... Sometimes I couldn't tell whether maybe things were actually a little bit more normal than I thought they were, but I just entered, like, this altered mind state. (laughs) Because it was just... It's weird to process. Like, especially when you're consuming it. I was on a plane when I read, I think, both one and two. Or most of two. And, like, you're already, like, kind of fucked up in the head when you're on a plane for a long time. (laughs) And I also remember feeling really weird about, like... Because I was sitting next to, like, this older lady and I remember her like kind of looking down at what I was reading and I felt like I somehow had to justify it to her not that we weren't we weren't like chatting or anything but part of me was just like I don't even know where to like start explaining this to anyone who isn't at all already familiar and like I'm very interested in like what assumptions she might be making about me right now based on the fact that I'm reading this on this plane yeah I, I was reading it on the train for a lot of it I felt the exact same thing I know exactly what you're talking about yeah, I read the probably the first half of volume two on a commute, or the first third, something like that. It was the only bit of it that I read on the subway, but I felt that wholeheartedly. Yeah, just like, and then I like I was out, I was waiting for Karim, and I was you know sitting at this park and reading it, and there weren't even that many people near me, but I still felt it. Like I was just not sitting in the privacy of some room, and I was reading Tank Girl, and it felt wildly inappropriate pretty much no matter where I was. Cleo, to go back to the the characters that you liked, um, I think it would be fair to say that the beer heist issue was probably one of the ones that you, one of the ones that you liked. Cause that was the introduction yeah. of, of sub girl and Jack girl. Yeah. And I also like that was when it started feeling at all kind of structured to me. And again, like, I know part of the point of Tank Girl is that, like, oh, we're rebelling against structure and stuff. And, like, that's cool. But once there was an actual story I could follow, I started to be able to get into it a little bit more. Because before then, it was, like, these short, nonsensical little episodes of, like, oh, like, these people are after Tank Girl and then they get killed. And, like, here's some ridiculous things that happen. And they're completely, like just coming out of nowhere and and it's interesting because like i do feel that post-apocalyptic australia is that originally kind of an important part of it but it never was developed as a world enough for me to feel invested in so like once we lost it as a setting i kind of i didn't fully miss it because i never felt we fully had it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I feel like the big thing that I found myself missing out of that was just, like, that that aesthetic, kind of the freedom that it gave, that it was, like, this blank slate. And also just that it was, I feel like Hewlett just drew it in a way that, for me, was 
was appealing. But yeah, no, I completely agree. It's one of the big things that I was thinking about um, in relation to our topic as the whole, where it's just like, yeah, we don't have like, we don't have an apocalypse in this, like we do in Mad Max and in Horizon, right? Where it's like, you have this world, you're exploring the world, right? Like Tank Girl doesn't explore the world. Right. Tank Girl just does shit. And yeah, no, I, I agree. I feel like for me, it's more that just like that setting kind of felt like it gave her more room to just do shit. Um, yeah, she was, it was kind of like she was at her best in that setting. Yeah. But I, I think that Cleo is right though in that, that sense that it's like, yeah, but like, it, it's not like, it, it's not like we had information about that world. Like we've got that minute. So the Sydney Opera House is there and they don't do operas there anymore. Like, I feel like that's like about what we know. Well, there, there was some kind of some kind of, like, strong-arm military organization yeah. at one point. Yeah. And we know that Tank Girl is... It It seems to oscillate between her being a deserter versus her being kicked out. And, it not, again, not that you I would even want consistency out of this comic. Yeah. But, um, I mean, because, like, early on, they make it seem like she's a deserter, but then later, like, there's a comic where... And I actually thought that this was really cool, where she talks about being, like, kicked out or unwelcome, at least in part because she's attracted to Booga, where and she was like, yeah, like they weren't down with that. So, and then unclear if it's like, so I pieced out or so they kicked me out. Yeah. So no, I, it, we definitely like tastes of the world, but it's, there's not your, there's not, there's not enough consistency in the series to say that the world is this way or that way. Yeah. Did anyone else really enjoy? I, it, cause the other two that really jump out to me that we, that we haven't touched on. So like, I, I really liked kind of the, the one with the art and kind of that sort of, totemic idea of tank girl uh i liked the kind of boo as the cult leader one and the other ones we've talked about but uh the other there were two that i liked a lot that were just kind of like sort of out of nowhere really sentimental like there's one where she's like writing a letter back to her mom yeah um i like that one a lot uh i also really liked I, I, we mentioned this a little bit earlier but there's one, like, towards the end where it's just like, oh, yeah, let's just, like, take a look at Tank Girl's friends. And half of them are characters that are not in the series. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this guy. Like, every Friday I go see him. And I don't tell people that I'm going to see him. I just say I'm leaving. And, like, she goes and it's her, like, playing, like, um, like a ping-pong version of Tetherball and just, like, knocking him out. So you don't even get to see his face. Because in the drawing, he's, like, getting knocked back by the thing. I liked that one a lot. Like, even stuff as small as just, like, oh, yeah, like, she met this guy and she doesn't see him much, but she likes him a lot. And, like, they talk about, like, I'm trying to remember, like, the bands that they talk about or something. Like, they talked about, like, oh, and, like, they met when they were younger and they, like, listened to the jam and the who and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, Glenn, yeah, they went to school together. Uh, they liked the jam and the who and they both had scooters. I don't know. I I liked that one a lot. Oh, yeah. And then, like, even, like, the first one uh, with her friend Barney. And then, like, it suggests that, like, right after that they sleep with each other. And then... It just jumps. I mean, it's just like this whole thing where it's just like, like we won't tell anyone, but we'll want to tell everyone. It'll probably never happen again, but that's okay because it happened. It's the sentimental thing. And then it jumps right to the guy who she hangs out with on Fridays. And it's just a picture of her like beating the shit out of him with a ping pong tether ball. It, I, I liked this one a lot. Um, I think part of that was that that's always one of the things that I actually really liked about the punk scene was that you know, you've got this kind of hard edge on the top, but like, Underneath it, there's like a, there's always been like a serious level of like acceptance and camaraderie, and it's just like yeah, no, like you can bond on that, like fuck all of them, and that you still want human connections, 
And every so often in, like, good punk media that, like, clips through or shines through. And it's just those moments where it's just like, oh, yeah, man, we were in the same band and we had scooters and we smoked the same cigarettes and we just, like, hung out on street quarters talking about how shitty stuff was. I don't know. So I, I liked that the series also also got at those. I feel like Booga is actually a really good source of a lot of those moments. Every so often when we do get stuff from his perspective, um, he'll even be really upfront. He's just like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm fucking crazy about her. Like, he's like, he doesn't say it out loud, but in his, like, internal narrations, like, he's really upfront about just being, like, head over heels in love with Tank Girl. Yeah, I remember the one specific moment from an issue, I think, late in two or maybe early in three. Um when there's a story that's pretty much just being told by Booga as things are happening and he's, he's narrating and he just, he straight up says that. And he's just like, yeah, like I, you know, she seems to come and go with the wind sometimes, but I know for a fact that like, like I love tank girl pretty unconditionally. Yeah. I mean, even in the issue that I was talking about where like, she's talking about Booga, it's, and like, we get sort of like that other sense of it and you can compare those two and him just being like, yeah, man, like I fucking love her. And she's just like, yeah, it was like, what, like I, like, I tried to kill him once, but it didn't work. He doesn't talk about that much. He pretends it's cool. Um, you know, talks about, like, oh, he knows how to make the tea just right. And, like, he's good at squat thrusts and running, and he plays a cunning game of Othello. And, like, those weird, like, I, those humanizing issues were ones that really stuck out a lot to me. Because it's always, like, those moments when she lets her guard down, like, just for you or just for her mom. Like, it, this almost, this feels like it was written for her mom in the same way that that, that other one did. Yeah. But... I, I like those a lot. I thought that those were good inclusions to the whole thing. So those were ones that felt like they would feel less good in the serialized format. Where it's like, if this was the only tanker like I was getting for like a month, and there was like two months between like the, the more usual comics, and it was just like this really kind of sweet thing, I feel like that felt really good, just sort of dropped into the middle when you're reading it collected like this. Yeah. We should do a tank girl machete order. <laughs> we should just do it. <laughs> Not not right now. Right, right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is is there anything else that we do want to do right now? Any any kind of other thoughts or things anyone wanted to highlight or dig into? I was surprised at how little the tank was in it. Again, like in, yeah. Well, the, the tank is a major character. It's another thing that's kind of dropped after volume one. Yeah, and then it sort of comes back in three. It all falls in with that same thing. But yeah. I feel like it's more than just whenever anyone had described like the series to me, it's just like, oh yeah, man, it's this girl and she's got this fucking tank. Like it's just like that. That was always like. Well, obviously that's what everybody remembered because it was the best parts of the story. Yeah. And everybody just sort of forgot all the other junk. Let's briefly mention that um, Booga's dad is a were yeti. Except for I... the one issue where he's like a guy in like no, a that's a stepdad. Mask. Oh, I thought he was just. I thought he was. No, just like, it, I remember very specific, like it being him being referred to as Booga's stepdad. Oh, and it's like, yeah, he he looks like he's wearing a. Are we no? No, I, I think I'm blending that with a different. No, you're the season of you're blending that with the season of sex from the calendar issue. Yes, um, there is one. I think the last comic in the thing, uh, or maybe not the last one, but they they like. I don't know. There's a guy in what looks like a gimp suit. Yeah. And Booga calls him dad. That's But that's then right. also they take a trip to Switzerland. Uh, Booga and Tango take a trip to Switzerland and meet Booga's mom and dad. Yeah. The Were-Yeti. Who is the Were-Yeti. Who is the yeah. Were-Yeti. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. His powers are activated by the smell of eggs. Yep. 
I dug that. That was a good one. Okay, so if that sentence right there didn't, uh, if that sounded interesting to you, read Tank Girl. Yeah. If it, if it didn't, you know, maybe don't. Probably don't read. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good one. That was a winner. All right, so we done with Tank Girl for now. I, I guess so. Put this on the shelf. Yeah. Cool. All right, so. There's that. We're going to come back to this in our Women of the Apocalypse topic episode. I think that's going to be really interesting because, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it counts. But, uh, yeah. All right. Cool. Done. Closing the book on that one. Wait. Hang on. I do God really fast. I do really fast want to say uh, the, the Tank Girl movie that came out in 95, uh, the, the creators did not like it. However, that was my first exposure to Tank Girl, and I just thought everybody would like to know that Ice-T is in it, and he plays one of the kangaroos, but yes. not Booga. No. I don't think Booga is actually in the No, movie. Booga is 100% in it, and okay. uh, they, I, I they write him it. as um, they write him as mentally handicapped, so I don't know what they were going for. Anyway, just wanted to... Just wanted to float that. Yeah. Ice-T plays a mutant kangaroo. Yep. In 1995. Or for me, 2003. But, you know. For the rest of you, 2017. What? When I saw it. When you saw it. Oh. We're done. done. We're done here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you all in the next episode. Uh, That's going to be Mad Max Fury Road. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. I'm so excited. All right. Let's record that. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Read, Watch, Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us at RWP Podcast on Twitter and like us at facebook.com slash RWP Podcast.